Hola y bienvenidos a la Deuces Wild Daily Hustle. Soy Enrique Barnes y presidente de mejor cerveza, Deadwater. Son los mejores bebidas. No abate por no filter network. Will the Thrill Clark not with us this morning? Miguelito Sandiaguito not with us this morning. But dead or alive, job or no job, here or not here, of course, we properly salute our boys. Yes, 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 yes. Woo. Remember this, folks. When we are juiceful, we are useful. And when we are juiceless, class, what are we? That's right. We're fucking useless. As simple as that, a very pleasant good morning to you on the first day of December 2023. I actually uh, was writing the Daily Hustle this morning, and I had the whole thing planned out. This fantastic Ronald Reagan quote. But... As I wrote the opening, Buenos Dias, today is Friday, December 1st, 2023. I might as well have done dot, dot, dot. Oh, fuck. It's my anniversary. At that point, I realized that I need to change the daily hustle. Look, it probably, of the 16 years that we've been married and today being the 16th anniversary if i'd forgotten today it probably would have been only the fourth or fifth time but i feel like i'm on a pretty good track record (laughs) over the past two years and that is one reason why you write the date down and i start with the hey today is december 1st because a lot of times it just hits you you're like wow okay this is a significant day Kind of like when I say, Buenos dias. Today is August the 16th, 2023. I'm like, oh shit. It's my 47th and a half birthday. So I'm on the treadmill this morning. And I completely rewrote the daily fucking hustle. I had to rewrite the whole thing. So typically, if I get a good session, I'll go. 10 miles of hiking and running in the morning before I come up here and do the show. Now I don't have a specific number because if I get five in and it's time to go, I'll come up and go do it. But the issue this morning, and I didn't schedule the daily hustle. And I know it's a pain in the ass for those who watch live on no filter network, but Really what happens with this is that once we create, it then goes out to the 17 different podcast platforms. So there really isn't a specific time that I have to be on here. It's one of the reasons why I don't charge to come on and watch this live and whatever else, because the irregularity of it is the one constant of it. So I try to say 8 a.m. ish and we go from there. It just honestly, it makes my life more fluid. And, and easier instead of stressing and having to be here at this exact time. Because what happens is it's not like I'm fucking around on the treadmill. I mean, obviously I'm getting after it from an exercise perspective, but also you know, being on that treadmill, I'm working. So I'm doing social posts and I'm writing the daily hustle blog. But today it got me. It, it did. And I, you know, this is the one day where I think it's important to step back and celebrate Tara and celebrate our relationship and everything else. So anyhow, uh, that is the reason for the tardiness, but I think well worth it. And by the way, I got off the tread, so I don't eat anything in the morning. And I got off the tread after 15 miles and Tara had a plate of these like Cinnabons with this unbelievable orange frosting. I took down the entire fucking plate. See ya. Just carb craved. All right. Let's not forget our title sponsor here this morning. Bet online. 
The holiday season is off and running with NFL in full stride, the NBA and NHL hitting mid-season form. Bet Online is your number one destination for all of your sports wagering info with up-to-the-minute sports wagering news, odds, trends, and predictions. Bet Online is the top spot for everything pro and amateur sports. And not just the big form. Bet Online has info available at your fingertips with both desktop and mobile access at any time for almost any sport that is played from MMA to international soccer. Bet Online has it all for you. Head to Bet Online today. Remember to use the promo code Believe, capital B L E A V. Bet Online. It's where the game starts. Also, Please don't forget about our partners at KT Tape. Get yourself some of the Pro Oxygen Tape by hitting the QR code in the upper right-hand corner. It's my left-hand corner. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a scientist, nor did I stay at a Holiday Inn Express last night, but I can tell you through experience, this shit works. When you apply the tape, it lifts the skin and promotes blood flow to the area, thus reducing inflammation and any pains associated with it. KT Tape. Deflaming muscles since its creation. And then lastly, to focus for the show, I got myself this shot of greatness. A little lemon, a little ginger, a little cannabis. Make up this pure shot of fucking life. Go to tryverge.com and ask for my dude, Jory, who will definitely take care of all of your Verge needs. Salute, Jory. it's so soothing on the throat. Like there's something about it where it's just like incredible relief. Okay. Let's get into today's daily hustle, which was again, written this AM on the tread, the title of it. Perfect imperfection. Buenos dias. Today is Friday, December 1st, 2023. And it just so happens to be Tara's and my 16th wedding anniversary. And I did not forget this year. Daily Hustle quote of the day. A perfect marriage is just two imperfect people who refuse to give up on each other. Unknown. I really like that. Daily Hustle translation. I could try to come on here and wax poetic about how to, about how perfect of a marriage we have. But as we all know, those couples who constantly publicly profess their love to one another are typically full of shit and oftentimes have the most volatile and worst relationships. That said, 16 years ago today, I obviously married somebody I deeply loved and respected. But most importantly, I married someone who knew I wouldn't give up on and wholeheartedly believed she wouldn't give up on me. I like to think that I'm a pretty good husband and father, but throughout the years, I do realize how challenging I have been and the sacrifices that have been made. The over-the-top life experiences and endurance excursions I have delved into and continue to chase would be enough to make any woman think I'm fucking nuts and then flee far away as possible. Yet, instead of running away, Tara has grabbed my back and continues to run towards each one of these adventures with me, oftentimes leading the charge. Ultimately, the eternal love and endless support is what continues to fuel our lives and our marriage. We are not perfect, although Tara is pretty damn close. But as the above anonymous quote suggests, if there is such a thing as perfect marriage, that is, it truly is just a couple of imperfect people refusing to give up on each other. Happy 16, honey. Oh, I thought that was pretty good. I mean, a late ad panic. Oh shit. This is what I need to switch to to write about. Wait till you hear Mondays though. Like I was really looking forward to writing today's daily hustle in this Ronald Reagan quote. So this was a, you know, the adapt, adjust, overcome. We thought we were going one direction, but we went another. And I think for good reason. Hmm. Tara seems to be happy with me. So anyhow, um, let's get into today's 
articles. And then we got Henry Markin, No Filter Network social media director, resident NBA expert. Although I don't think anyone has officially given those credentials to him but me. And I'm not even sure he deserves them. Uh, let's start. Yo, look, first and foremost, we are a baseball podcast. I think that is important. So let's hit the baseball news at the top because this is kind of a big deal. MLB 2024 rule changes. That's right. MLB's controversial running lane rule could die in 2024 ahead of next season. The MLB Joint Competition Committee has proposed several key changes to the game. Is the most controversial rule in baseball about to die? Around this time last year, I wrote how the MLB Joint Competition Committee was exploring ways to simplify or eliminate the running lane to first base. Now the committee has made a formal proposal that has entered the required 45-day review period. By Christmas, we may have seen the last of the running lane rule as we know it, but not the lane itself. Huh? What does this mean? Confused? I am. That's the nature of the running lane, a century-long source of controversy and confusion among umpires, managers, and players. It was a veteran umpire on the committee, Bill Miller, who suggested an end to keeping runners in that 45-foot lane on the foul side of the first baseline. The proposal allow the runner the entire width of the dirt path between home and first base. As one veteran manager put it, I'm glad there is no more interpretation. Dirt is good. Grass is bad. Okay. It makes some sense. But then we have to have uniform grass cuts because they're not. The running lane would still be chalked before games. An MLB source said the lane would be needed for the right boundary of the line to keep runners from running too far in foul territory on plays where the ball is in foul territory, such as drop third strikes. The amended running lane is one of the several rule changes most dealing with the pace of play proposed the 11-member competition committee, which includes six MLB representatives, four players, and one umpire. No proposal can go to vote until after the 45-day consultation period. The window can be extended by... Mutual agreement of the MLB, PA, and MLB. The running lane rule, officially rule 5.09, states that a runner is out when he runs outside of the 45-foot lane and in the umpire's judgment interferes with the fielder's ability to catch a throw. The runner is permitted outside of that three-foot-wide lane for his last step to the base. Huh. Game four of the 1969 World Series ended when Mets pinch hitter J.C. Martin was hit by a throw from Orioles pitcher Pete Riker while outside of the lane and more than one step for the base. No call was made by the umpires. Reports at the time mentioned that the rule had been in place for 50 years but rarely called. A recent running lane controversy involved Cody Bellinger in game four of the 2018 World Series not called. Trey Turner, game six of the 19 World Series, called out. And Jake Myers, last June 14th, not called on a game-ending play. The Turner and Myers calls both went against Washington manager Dave Martinez, who lashed out after the Myers non-call, saying they need to fix the rule. I'm tired of it. Just fix it. The competition committee was formed out of the most recent CBA negotiations. Any member of the committee or the commissioner's office may formally propose a rule change for consideration. Following the 45-day review period, a final vote is taken requiring majority support to pass. Any rule change approved by the committee must be announced before the mandatory spring training reporting date for players. The three major rule changes adopted for last season were proposed by the commissioner's office. The pitch timer the ban on defensive shifts and bigger bases. The proposals passed by votes of 7 to 4, 7 to 4, and 11-0, respectively. The votes against came from the four players' representatives. 
on the committee. So there's only four fucking players. Think about that. That's not enough. It's just not. I think players should comprise half. Mm. And then you split the other half with the umpires and the owners. Here are the other key rule proposals for 2024 and my takes on them, okay? Reduce the pitch timer with bases occupied from 20 seconds to 18 seconds. Yeah, fucking go for it. Quicker is better. It's shocking how little the pitch clock actually came into play after spring training. I felt like all the big debacles that took place last year were before the players were Easter. All right, the next one here. Reduce mound visits from five to four in a nine-inning game. You know what? I got a better proposal. Just fucking remove them all together. Don't need them. Done. No. If the catcher needs to go out to communicate with his pitcher, I'm good with that. That's fine. But the coaches, the managers, everything, just no. No. I was in banana ball. I was a manager. And I didn't go out to the mound. It's against the rules. The manager gets thrown out of the game if he goes out to the mound. Uh, The next one here. Infielders cannot block bases. Okay, this one's interesting because this has gone on for a long time. And I think it's bullshit. Because infielders, especially the dirty ones, will drop a knee on you. So imagine you're going in head first. You're sliding to second base. And you got somebody that drops a knee on you. Now you're going head first into their knee. That's bullshit. I actually even went so far because I saw Chase Utley doing it. And we were in a bar in Colorado. And I went to college with Chase. We used to go to the VA facility golf course after practice with a backpack full of daddy lights and pound beers and obviously play golf. Just really special times in our lives. But I saw Chase and I had seen in like the scouting report when they were talking about the Phillies that he does it. I said, Chase, I said, listen here, dude. I appreciate your style of play. You're a fucking badass. But if you drop a knee on me as I'm going into second base, I can promise you this. I will be flying high and I'll look like Bruce fucking Lee coming across the dirt. Not joking. And he kind of gave it that little smirk that Chase, you know, gives. And he's like, I got you. And look, I, if you could do it and you're him, he fucking did it. Right. Okay, could you blame them? But there needed to be repercussions, and that's how you get them to stop doing it. Well, you know what? Better way to get them to stop doing it? Make a fucking rule that says you can't do it anymore. So it says, thanks to Whit Merrifield for the common sense proposal. This is a player safety issue. Why should infielders be allowed to block a base with their leg when catchers can't? It's especially dangerous now. Most runners slide head first due to unintended consequences of replay. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's just a no brainer one. Let's see here. I'm trying to think, cause I, I didn't know what the exact rule was. They're saying white Sox star center fielder, Luis Robert jr. Sprained his wrist or heifer slide. When Jonathan scope dropped his knee to put his entire leg in front of the bag, one offshoot of the swipe tag proposal is a proposal to eliminate replay challenges of catchers blocking the play in some cases umpires in the replay center were interpreting plays differently than umpires on the field. I do think that makes a lot of sense because the umpires on the field get a feel for the entire play and the angle, the ball's coming in and they can see it. And you guys know me, I'm a proponent of replay. I really am. But the umpire on the field has a much better vantage point than Anybody sitting in a booth in New York City would is going to go ahead and overturn the play. So I do think we should not have those reviews, at least when it comes to safer out. Yeah, let's check it out at home plate. But not the catcher blocking the path. Uh Uh-uh. I think the absolute best person to make that call is the home plate umpire. If anything, and he wants some help, they can go convene in the middle of the field and have a little debate about it. And then the umpires who are at the field on premise should be making that call. 
The next one here, pitchers must work out of the stretch with runners on. What? Huh. The proposal stems from confusion with a runner at third base and pitchers who use a hybrid delivery, which borrows elements from the stretch and wind-up positions. Most pitchers prefer the wind-up with two outs and a runner on third, in part because they are more comfortable and or more effective. MLB shouldn't legislate that choice of how a pitcher competes, especially when it's not a big enough problem that needs a solution. I agree with that. I mean, what's That's fucking stupid. If a pitcher wants to go from the wind-up, let the pitcher go from the wind-up. It's that simple. Okay, so there are some of the MLB proposed rule changes. All right, check this out. Deion Sanders. Neon Deion is Sports Illustrated's 2023 Sports Person of the Year. And I can already hear the critics coming in now. Oh, he only won four football games. They're not even going to a bowl. They collapsed down the stretch. You know what? Shut the fuck up. Nobody cares. Because the biggest story in college football this year was Coach Prime. I don't give one single shit about how they finished. What they did at the beginning. The mass turnover. The mass turnout. This team won one game last year. One. It took them one game to win one game this year. And then two games to win two games. And then three games to win three games. The start that they got off to electrified not only the Colorado Buffaloes fan base, but the entire college football world. It then transcended that and got the entire sports world and people who don't even like sports talking about it. It was fucking awesome. His faith, his ability to motivate, his antidotes that he'll drop in any press conference. There's no other coach that I'd rather listen to. The truth that he speaks, the way he handles people just in general. I love the naysayers, the critics, the people trying to tear him down at this point. The other coaches that are talking shit. Oh, he's not going to be there. The whole thing's coming crashing down. I saw something about like, quote unquote, a Pac-12 coach that was saying, oh, you know, now we get to see his true colors and all this. Shit. Yeah, fuck off. His true colors are what they are. They always have been. This guy wears his heart on his sleeve. And to think that they did what they did, basically with like two legit dudes that I know about. That's it. Right? You got his kid and you got the receiver slash quarterback. And if anything, he got the absolute most out of them. But as Dion would tell you, this whole process... Like, it's going to take a while. You can't show up at a college in one year and expect to become national title contender. He even said before they lost. So they're undefeated in this thing. And he's like, yeah, he's like, we're, we're a few pieces away. Now, I think he also recognized what they did have that could play at a top national level. But then you start looking around, you're like, dude, it's just, you don't have the pieces. As someone who coaches baseball, Youth baseball at a top national level, every team that we put together, it's you're only as good as your depth. The Alabamas of the world, my buddy at UCLA told me this in the UCLA football program. He's like, look, the Alabamas of the world, what makes them so great is that they literally are four deep in every position. Four deep. Think about that. So then you go to like the UCLA's of the world. Well, UCLA, they're like, one deep at every position, which is good. It's good. You got the top end four or five-star recruits 
But what happens when those guys get hurt? What happens when all of a sudden, whatever it is, doesn't work out? Like that becomes an issue. Well, at Alabama, you just go ahead and replace them. It's that simple. It's next man up. And that's when you've created an unbelievable program. You also have to get people to buy in to, hey, come sit on the bench for two, three years and learn from the best. And then you're going to be a star and a top NFL pick. That's it's difficult. And now with the transfer portal and everything else is becoming harder and harder. But I would say, and this is where Dion could really, really win, is you go ahead and you got his kid for, what, another year or two at quarterback. You don't leave Colorado before then. Like you're all in. Now, after a couple years, you know, once the kid's gone, then I think he could take off for greener pastures in college football or potentially the NFL. I'd be shocked if he's not hired as the Dallas Cowboys head coach. I mean, Jerry Jones has got to be loving this shit right now. Seriously loving this shit. So that's where I eventually see him ending up. But for now, hmm, you know what's about? Just dominating the fucking transfer portal. Absolutely crushing it there. So you have all this momentum. You're a sports person of the year. Why not? All right. It says here, the photo shoot was progressing the way they often do, becoming a war of wills, pitting the perfectionist with the cameras and the lighting and the smoke machine against the impatient subjects arrayed in front of them. Between poses, Deion Sanders was getting fidgety. The coach of the Colorado was surrounded by his people, his agent, a school's chancellor, and the athletic director and a 99-year-old superfan, Peggy Kupom, were among the entourage. As the photo crew poured over details, Sanders lobbed one-liners at his son's social media maven, Dion Jr., Buffalo's quarterback, Shadur, and safety, Shiloh. He wrapped his arm around his daughter, Colorado basketball player Shalami, kissing her on the temple. He bent over to speak to Tiny Peggy so Tiny Peggy could hear him. Peggy is Dion's match in terms of personality. I thought I was coming for the swimsuit edition, she said. Oh, we love Peggy. So, I mean, that just goes to show you, too, by the way. Dion's not going anywhere. He's got two kids there. Think about that. Well, she should be three kids. You got two kids on the football team, and they have another one. Your daughter is playing hoops at Colorado. I mean, now is the time to go ahead and say, yeah, I'm going to get behind this thing. Quote, the Oregon game. I've forgotten it, Sanders said, of his team's lone blowout to that point. I've moved past it. The others stay with me. 3.7 points, details, consistency. We want to win now. So what he's saying is they got the shit beat out of them. And it was real easy to move past that. But the games that you could win with a coaching decision or two, those are the ones that are going to stick with you. And I couldn't agree with them more. I'm just used my experience. Like we got pounded by prime Lujan at PGI in the quarterfinals. And that's eventually what sent us home. But I don't look back upon that game as being the game that sent us home. It was the one that was super tight with the lead RBI right before that. That we decided to, to pull one of the kids. We could have left him in. Uh, we said we were down at the point, or I think I back to an at bat that one of our kids had a big situation. Like, I, I think about all the little things that maybe we could have done different that would have won us that game. But the ones you get your ass kicked, you just kind of onward and upward. How about the Lakers with that, by the way? I mean, they had, what, 44 point losers, or maybe 46, and then came back the next night and blew somebody else out. You got to have a quick memory in this game. So, anyhow. Bottom line is this, Neon Dion, Coach Prime, Sports Illustrated's Sportsman of the Year. On that note, let's go to our resident. 
social media man of the year and no filter networks dfe that's do fucking everything henry markin a connoisseur of all the finer things in life including the national football league henry you're wearing your colors today oh absolutely absolutely what's going on man well you said it it's all the finer things in life i like to think of myself as an active consumer of those uh those areas my field is all things 49ers all things warriors all things good times good vibes and all things good bets and let's hope all of those things happen this weekend on sunday my god so the line that's been set in philadelphia is a historical line for the first time since 1970 a team that started 10 or 1 or better has never been underdogs with a healthy starting quarterback jalen hurts is healthy yet they are two and a half to three point underdogs depending on where you're going to look at the line to the san francisco 49ers there is zero doubt in my mind the niners are the better football team this still is going to be a tough task, though, Henry. Well, you said it over the week. The 10 and 1 Eagles are not an impressive 10 and 1 team. They are incredibly lucky. I can think of three different games that should have been losses purely because of the gods of betting or the gods of fantasy football or whatever deity you follow that can impact the game on an omnipresent level beyond human hands. They should have lost to the Chiefs because Marquez Valdez-Scanling actually rubbed butter on his gloves before the game. The Eagles probably should have lost to the Cowboys. There was a couple of plays that Dak made, a, a balled out, but made in, in the tiny microscopic unluckiness. Like they got stopped at the half-yard line, fourth and goal. He got tackled at the half-yard line. Would have been a multiple uh, touchdown difference game. Uh, Eagles... Probably shouldn't have beaten the Bills. Jake Elliott knocked in a 60-yarder in, in a it was like a it was like a 95 mile an hour slider pitch style kick. Unbelievable kick. And and not to mention he makes the kick, sent it to OT fine. Josh Allen missing Gabe Davis in overtime in the end zone for a walk-in score. That that's an unbelievable miss and, a, and an incredible dodge by the Eagles to get that. I, I think they should be. What's the record? Ten and one. So the Jason, they should be seven and four. Seriously. Yeah, and that's what all the sabermetrics basically say that mm -hmm. the Eagles should be a seven-win team, and the 49ers should be a nine-win team. Absolutely. I mean, the Niners lost those three in a row. You know, the first one was Cleveland when Jake Moody doinked a 41-yarder. That's too bad, right? And so that that game should be a win. And whatever scratch that as a loss the second game brock purdy got a concussion that was a clear there's evidence of him trying to do the 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 tush push the 49ers version of the tush push which he'll never ever do again uh he literally got cracked and uh threw two picks late in the game because the dude was concussed as you talked about the the all the brain waves just weren't firing properly that's fine and then and then they lost in cincinnati because the guy was still concussed like he played in the game six days later short week with a concussion honestly you should have just started darnold that game um you yeah. know so yeah those are three losses and they're a much better team well dude 100%. we said that back when you were questioning brock purdy and basically Ooh. you know whether or not he should be replaced and i'm like oh careful this, con this concussion thing man it's for fucking real. These guys, they, they just, and when you're a quarterback like him, the AI quarterback, as we like to call him, and you're making throws where you have to anticipate your receiver's movements. And let's not forget the fact that Debo Samuel went down and that was huge. Mm -hmm. And another reason why he's such a vital part of that offense. So they went into a little bit of an offensive funk, but when they have all of their guys healthy and firing on all cylinders, uh, there's not a team that's going to beat them in the NFL. There's just not. If the Niners play their game, now they could go out there and shit on themselves. If right. that happens, fine. But if everybody is healthy and they're executing the way they are capable of executing, they're not going to fucking lose, Henry. So take that to the goddamn bank this weekend. Go to your bank account. 
unload whatever it is you have in there. I'm not sure. Yeah. How much yeah, yeah, yeah. Wheel it, wheel barrel it to the bank and to the bookie and like cash it in. Absolutely. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Night, I'm gonna caution you though. Take the Niners on the money line. Fuck the points. I, I we're not laying any points. They're gonna go and win this game. Can't guarantee you they're gonna cover the three, but they will win this game. It's that simple. Niners. Money line, probably looking at like a minus 140, minus 150. Yeah, it's around like 140. Um, I I disagree. I think take the points and perhaps even get frisky with it and create some sort of alter. Yeah, he's walking off. (laughs) I, I think take the points, create some fun alternative line, really get some bang for your buck. The Niners don't just beat teams. They dismantle teams. They... Pull them apart limb for limb. And I I don't think the Eagles are any better than the Jaguars. And the Niners went into Jacksonville and absolutely tore them apart. I think this is a perfect opportunity to see just how good the Niners are. And they know it. This is their Super Bowl. This is the Eagles can try to hype up the motivation they have on their end. It does not equal a fraction of the Niners' hatred towards this team. Niners by seven and a half or more. That's what I got. You know what, dude? I like that. I love the confidence. I mm-hmm. do think that that is a high possibility. The alternate line, and this is the one that would be really ballsy, would be like the 49ers minus 14 and a half. Yeah. Which you would probably get somewhere in the range of like plus 350, plus 400. That, my friends, would be putting your balls on the line with your belief in the San Francisco 49ers. I think I think that's the bet. You know, the, like, can they win by a field goal? Yeah, but I don't think if they're executing properly, it's going to be an absolute straitjacket that they're going to put on the Eagles offensively. And then if like, do you do you honestly see the Niners like like kind of throwing in and phoning in a couple of drives? Absolutely not. This is going to be the most focused they've ever been. They're going to do what they always do. They're going to score early and quickly. And then maybe the Eagles retaliate, maybe. But, uh, like, the Eagles, the way they play is it, they're always – their guard is seems to be down in the first half. And then they're somewhat playing from behind in the second half. So Niners' first half is a lock. And then when – you know, but but can the Niners stay focused all the way through? You bet. I mean, this is this is a team that really hates Philly. And I, I think this is the game that decides the men from the boys. Not that – Philly are a bunch of children, but like in this grand scheme of this year's Super Bowl, I think we're going to see the real contenders are actually in the weeks to come against the Ravens. I think the Ravens will be, all right, let's not get ahead of ourselves and create some fun, crazy line. Let's take the actual points there. This week, Niners going to kill Philly. Book it. Okay, so do you think there's going to be any reservation for Brock Purdy, the last time he was in that building, he tore his UCL. Yeah. Are- I mean, you've got to be, you know, I always, a little hesitation going back there. Not <sighs> great memories. I don't know. I mean, it's he like returning to. He, he doesn't seem like a guy that would be. Uh, no, no, he's an AI quarterback. Crazy. No, right. it's it's it it's 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 returning to the scene of the crime for sure. And you said he's an AI quarterback. Uh, I I wanted to talk about one thing, you know, that I saw this week. He's been relaxed and composed and collected all week. And there was a press conference that he had his hat on backwards. And the whole time during this press conference, Colin Cowherd on Fox was making this ginormous deal that a franchise quarterback cannot wear his hat on backwards in a press conference. It's the dumbest friggin' take in the history of sports, I think, considering that Brady and Rogers and anyone who's worth a damn has worn their hat backwards in a press conference showing that they're cool and collected and casual and not so friggin' stiff. Uh, Purdy's going to be just fine. Purdy is so dialed, locked in. He's AI quarterback. He is the prototype weapon. Will not be phased whatsoever by Philly. Well, dude, if anything... Putting your back, hat backwards is a sign of respect because when you have your hat forward and you have it low on your eyes, or you can make the argument 
that if I'm doing the daily hustle and I got my shades on, then, you know, that's a sign of disrespect or whatever. Well, I like putting the hat backwards because people could see you more, right? You're up front. Right. The yeah. shades are because literally the sun is shining in here. Now, that, that'll sit. I'll wear my fucking shades at night, dude. I'll go Dion, Dion with you. I don't give a shit. Right. My star is always shining. So it's, it's oftentimes it's bright. Yeah, you're going to pull a Dion and get some rivalry fired up with some no-name coach, and all of a sudden that becomes a primetime game. Colorado State Boulder, game of the year for whatever reason because of those fucking glasses. It was the game of the year. Well, you remember how good of a game it was too. Oh, my God. And what? And, and I know you're a big Dion guy, but how about the collapse of Boulder? Like, dude, just... Dude, dude, dude. You know what? You know how big of a collapse it was? Dion Sanders is the fucking sportsman of the year for Sports Illustrated. That's how big the collapse was. Nobody gives a shit. Everybody in the sports world is like, oh, what a collapse. What a big deal. In the grand scheme of things, in the real world, where people don't really care that much about the Colorado Buffaloes or college football, and they're not looking at the X's and O's and final records and this and that, you know what people do know? That he reinvigorated a fan base in Colorado. He reinvigorated the entire college football scene, and you had people who don't even fucking like sports paying attention to him for who he is, for what he represents, for the attitude he brings each and every single time he gets in front of a camera. This guy is electric, dude. There's nobody else. Nobody in the world right now I think I'd rather listen to. Not one person. If he had his own show and does his own thing and bring on his own, hey, Dion, we got a spot for you here on No Filter Network. I mean, I, I talk about empty my bank account. I'll empty my bank account to have Dion come on No Filter and just do an hour pot each day. I, I, he is so fucking fantastic, man. I like, I, I love him. I do. And I love him because of his willingness to admit their imperfections. I love him even more when they started losing because it wasn't all unicorns and rainbows anymore, Henry. It was, how do we deal with this? Where are we going to go from here? Like everyone was loving us a second ago. Now we're getting all this hate. I've told the boys that this is how it works. This is the world. This is what we deal with. That, my friends, is a sportsman of the fucking year. Period. Wow. I struck a nerve. I will say that it is, it is really cool to see all the press on Colorado. My sister's a bull. She's a buff. So that's like like a big-ass deal. And She's there right now, isn't she? Yeah, she just graduated. But she actually missed Dion like, as a student by a year. But the fact that we actually give a shit about Colorado like the rest of the country does was a pretty cool feeling. And I will say to that team's credit, when I saw the headline that Dion doesn't stop fights at practice, he actually lets them continue and keeps track of who wins. That's, that's electric. That, that is a crazy concept at practice. And I fucking love that. That's amazing. Is that true? Oh my God. Yeah. That he would like when people would get into little scraps, there was yeah. no whistle. There was no breaking it up. It's like, let the boys play and keeping track like it's a fucking win-loss boxing record. That is amazing. Love that dog mentality. But, All right, but so I'm, I'm looking yeah. at the money, the money line bet here. This is on Forbes Band. It says, we're going to roll with the 49ers on the money line, putting at least a little stock in the added motivation for San Francisco here. Niners fans are still wondering what might have happened if quarterback Brock Purdy hadn't gotten hurt in last year's NFC title game against the Eagles. Instead, mm -hmm. Philadelphia cruised a 31-7 victory. Purdy is healthy now, having a terrific season. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, the over-under here, we haven't talked about that at all. It says one over-under trend has to give. Each of Philadelphia's five home games has exceeded the posted total, while the under has hit in five of San Francisco's six road games. We'll invest in the Lincoln financial field trend continuing with both teams combining to hit the over. Both offenses are among the NFL's top in, top 10 in yards per play. There's been a barrage of criticism aimed at the Eagles' offensive inconsistency, but they're actually averaging more points this season, 28.2, than in 2022 was 28.1. The Niners' rebound from a three-game losing streak in October has been keyed by Williams and Samuel's return. San Francisco has scored at least 27 points in every game both players have played without leaving due to injury. The weather forecast in Philly shows a possibility of rain, 
So it may make sense to monitor any over under movement, mm. but both offenses are worth investing in regardless. I like that. I do like the over in this. I do too. I'm going to take the 49ers blinders off. I'm going to go as like an unbiased better here. Unbiased better would assume that the Niners are probably going to be the same high octane offense early in the first half. Like they've been most of the year high octane defense. You know, can they, can they shut teams down like what they did to the Cowboys? Probably, probably not to the same extent. There's still a few holes in the secondary. Uh, the Niners pass rush is, is, is going to be a problem for everyone else the rest of the year with Chase Young, with, with hard Rams, with, with Bosa, doesn't matter right but we still are we just lost Ufunga for the year uh he tore his acl our uh our all pro safety he's done and we were already struggling in that department now uh who's gonna guard aj brown i have no idea probably Charvarius ward uh who's gonna guard Devonte smith at the same level fuck if i know that that's a that's a tough day I think the Eagles can score. They won't be able to score at will. Uh, Cause I still think that they're, I don't know if they're as tech savvy offensively as the Niners. Like it seems like the Niners are just a computer, like between Shanahan, the mind of Shanahan and the execution ability of Purdy. They're literally, uh, they're like a code. Like you, like you punch in code, you hit enter and it, and it, and it computes. I think the Eagles are a little bit more. Yeah, we'll get it done. Kind of like, yeah, well, if it comes down to a fourth and one, then we'll get it because of the fucking brother we shove. Um, oh, I think the over will hit, but I think the Niners will obviously produce more of the points towards that over than the Eagles. Uh, I don't see the Niners completely shutting down Philly in in Philly, but they can outscore them by at least a touchdown, I think. That's why it's seven and a half, I think. Give me a prediction of a final score. Great question. I'm going to go 31-23, 49ers over Eagles. Well, if that's the case. That's an eight-point victory. Yeah, I guess you do cover your seven and a half. That's an eight-point victory. The reason I came to that conclusion was I was looking at how the Niners played against the Rams week two, where the Rams were kind of doing whatever they wanted with Puka Nakua, and, and I think he had like 17 17- catches that game something like that and we really didn't have an yeah he had 15 receptions for 147 yards we really didn't have an answer for him but uh we kind of figured out how to you know put at least a boundary on their running game he uh kyron williams who's a fantasy superstar only had 52 yards rushing and if we could bottle in hertz and deandre swift and make it purely about their passing game Hertz is going to throw an incompletion. He's going to throw an interception. He usually does. Um, so I think similar scoring trends in the Rams Niner game is going to be seen similar here. That game also had a total of 53 points in the end. So uh, 30 the Niners won 30 to 23 that game. I bet you they win 31 23 based off of a couple extra field goals. And maybe, maybe Philly scores late, try to do like a little two for one, get back into it, score quickly. Maybe the over barely hits, like in the final drive. Um, but yeah, 31-23, Niners win in Philly. Over hits, Niners cover, cover an alternate spread. Book it. Okay. Mm-hmm. Let's go with 38-20. The wow. Niners not only win the game, but they cover the three that the point spread sits at. They cover the first alternate line of seven and a half. Uh-huh. They then cover the second alternate line of 10 and a half. And they cover the third alternate line of 14 and a half and take home the whole fucking Philly cheesesteak by winning by 18 points and covering the final alternate line of 17 and a half. That's gotta pay. I don't know handsomely dude you'd be, be putting your kids through fucking college with this one hank <laughs> god yeah that would be electric absolutely put the little cheese sauce on top 17 and a half alt line covered send the kids to college retire early we'll see you in cabo yeah wait 38 to 20 that's 
that's five touchdowns and one field goal. So you're predicting that Purdy is just dueling, like an absolute assassin out there. I don't think they can stop him, man. I mean, what did the Bills put up? They put up at least 30. They're mid-30s, right? And the Bills did that without a running game, too. They have their running game is is literally just Josh Allen running for his life. We have the best running back in football. So seven touchdowns, one field goal. The best running back. So I had to correct my kid the other day because he knows how much I love Christian McCaffrey. And so last night after the Cowboys Seahawks game, love the Seahawks unis last night, by the way, throwback to the A's. Yeah. But there was a documentary that came on about Barry Sanders. And I told Colton, I said, dude, I said, plain and simple, this is the greatest running back to ever live. And he goes, what about Christian McCaffrey? I go, look, Christian McCaffrey is one of the best football players I've ever seen. Honestly, he could make an argument as being one of the best football players to ever live easy. But when it comes to just being a pure running back, Barry Sanders is the best running back of all time, and it's not even close. Now, then the third name that comes up in that conversation is Bo Jackson. Hmm. Bo Jackson, like McCaffrey, needs his own category because, number one, he didn't play long enough. Number two, he obviously had the baseball prowess to go with it. Right. But that simply was the greatest athlete that we've ever seen in our lifetime, period. And so you have McCaffrey, who you could make the argument as the best football player that we've seen play in our lifetime. Bo Jackson, the best athlete that for sure we've ever seen in our lifetime. And this motherfucker right here, Barry Sanders, is the best running back we have ever seen, period. Lock it up. Take that to the bank. Done. Uh, yeah. It's over. Yeah. He's, he was that fucking good. He was built to be a running back. That's it. I completely agree. Those All three of those categories are perfect. Uh, Thank and you. Oh, as the athlete of all athletes, absolutely. Hey, who's your, who's your best? Because you've seen... Well, you played against Brady in high school, but you obviously grew up with Montana. Who do you put as the best quarterback of all time, Montana or Brady? Well, I've, I found something really interesting because if you go by titles, it's Brady. Right. If you go by statistics, it's still pretty much Brady. And now what the era in which Montana was playing and Marina was playing, and Elway was playing, was just different. They didn't chuck the rock around the way they do now. So they did a completely different football game. But like it or not, quarterbacks get judged on titles. Uh, they also can't get judged on efficiency, right? I mean, Brady went to nine Super Bowls. He won seven. An incredible record. Montana went to four, and he won four. Montana was asked who the best quarterback was a few years ago after Brady won, maybe it was a seven. And his response was, it's Brady. Won seven Super Bowls, it's been to nine. How can you even argue that? Montana was then asked again, like this year, who the best quarterback was. And his response changed. Hmm. He said, Dan Marino. Now, if you looked at... Marino's physical ability and what he was capable of doing. And you looked at some of the big years and the numbers that he had. And then if you surrounded him and he had, you know, what is it? Clayton and Duper. And he had some tools around him, but they never had the defense to get him over the hump to help them win the Super Bowl. Well, the guy that did finally win two Super Bowls after going to, I think, three and losing the first three, that I could make the argument is the best quarterback to ever live is John Elway. As we go ahead and put a bow on the Pac-12 tonight, it's gone. And you look back at the legacy of what the Pac was, that was the quarterback conference. Mm-hmm. And you had John Elway at the forefront of all that. That was the best quarterback to come out of there. Now, 
you had obviously Aaron Rodgers, you had Andrew Luck, you had Jim Plunkett. Uh, I mean, the list goes on. Troy Aikman said, you know, another one. It's just, just incredible. All the guys that USC that, uh, you know, went through the pack as well. It, without a doubt, Marcus Mariota up in Oregon, on and on and on and on. That is going to be the legacy of the pack. I think it's just so highly subjective. In my opinion, if I tell you that I think Brady is the best quarterback or Montana is the best quarterback, I'd start with those two at the top of the list. And then if I just went skill-wise, I would go to Elway. Those would be the three. The most efficient quarterback to ever play the game is Joe Montana. The best quarterback to ever play the game based on all the accolades, the numbers, and the Super Bowl wins is Tom Brady. Mm-hmm. And the most physically gifted quarterback to ever play the game is John Elway. Interesting. Um, make, that, make that a fucking no filter network clip, dude. Yeah, I'll, I'll pencil that in. I'll put a bow around that, box it up, make it nice. Last question, and then I'll let you go so you can end on yeah. time. Tonight is the swan song of the Pac-12. Obviously, the teams are not going anywhere, like as far as no longer existing, they're going different conferences, but the PAC 12 itself, the beauty of the conference of champions, the, the, the premier West coast conference of all good receivers, quarterbacks, and honestly, NFL legends it's done tonight. What happens in the game? It's Oregon minus nine and a half is the official line. I think the over under is 67 and a half. Oregon's playing for a playoff spot. Washington's playing to keep their spot. What do you see happening? Oregon's going to beat the absolute piss out of them. They are the better football team. If they go out there and play their game, the Washington Huskies will not stop them. They are that good. They are not only avenging the loss that they had earlier in this season, but this is their swan song and their final farewell to the Pac-12 saying, you know what? Yeah, maybe we didn't get good until a little bit later uh, in the conference's 150-year fucking history, but we're the ones going out on top. The Oregon Ducks, your Pac-12 champs, they will get into the Final Four. And go ahead and cut this clip as well, Henry, for our social media. The Oregon Ducks will be your national champions this season. Whoa! Boom! Mic drop. Mic drop. No shit. Wow. Yup. Beating Georgia, probably. Yep. Holy shit! What a call! All right. I mean, I'll but book they it. might have to face Georgia because they'll probably get in as a four. So you'd have to face Georgia, who who'd be the one, right? You're assuming yeah. Georgia's going to beat Bama this weekend. Georgia, the, if Georgia beats Bama like they should, then it would be Oregon at the four. Georgia oh, you're right. One, they take them. They take them down in the semifinal, and then probably Michigan. It'd be Oregon, they, Michigan. Take, they will. They will beat Michigan. Oregon versus Michigan for the national championship, and the Ducks will take down the Wolverines. Although Wolverines, man, have you seen those little fuckers? Yeah, they're those really people, good. No, they're an endangered species. Like I like did is it, it just I just read about this yesterday. I think it was on the Daily Hustle that the Wolverine is is on the endangered species list now. Now really? ducks are not on the endangered species list. I used to have a duck live down here. His name was Alfalfa at a Mohawk. And I might imagine a Wolverine got him, but not this time around because the Oregon Ducks are the best college team in the land. They will win the national championship, and that run starts here tonight against Washington. Boom. Yeah. All right, man. Got to run, dude. Thanks for having me on, as always. Hey, bro. Yeah, fuck out. I'll have you on every day if you want. Love it. We'll do. Best of luck to all your bets. Yeah, you too. I'll do you a fantastic weekend. Henry, one more thing. I cannot let you out of here. Oh, yeah. Go for it. Shut up! Let me try this again. No, it worked. All right, everybody else, have a fantastic weekend. A lot of good football games on between tonight and that Pac-12 championship, Oregon and Washington. Tomorrow, geez, what do we got? Georgia, Alabama, and then Sunday, the Niners and the Eagles. Looking forward to it.
All right. See everyone on Monday. Oh, and oh, by the way, honey, happy anniversary.